does he care about this area of our, of our lives? Of course he does. And so do you think that our God who tells us to cast all our care upon him, the one who created and ordained everything about us, including the relationship with our husbands to glorify him, do you think he won't answer you? Welcome to Mothering from the Heart, a program that seeks to reach out and encourage women in the everyday moments of life. Your teacher is pastor's wife, mother, and grandmother, Audrey Brogy. Today, we begin part two of a message entitled, You Are What You Think, in which Audrey looks at select passages from God's Word that illustrate the connection between what we take in through our various senses and how they play out in our behavior. Much of what Audrey's been looking at has come from Philippians chapter 4, and we've left off in verse 8, which admonishes us to dwell on things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Let's rejoin Audrey now as she gives us a little recap about what we've covered today. Okay, just a little bit of review, and some of you might not have been here, but the handout that you had last time is You Are What You Think, and the point one in that handout was God has, has commanded us to rejoice in the Lord. That was your blank, to rejoice in the Lord. And then we saw it in the passage because he not only said rejoice in the Lord, but he said, again, I will say rejoice. And then we just walked through the passage, and your A, B, C, D, E were things like, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. And then the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. And then the last one was, let your mind dwell on these things. And that's kind of where we stopped. Um, and the last thing I said um, that I, as we gathered last time was, uh, worry is not so much what you're thinking about when we were talking about anxiety and worry and all the things that we um, get anxious over, but what you're not thinking about. Now, just let that sink in for a second. Sometimes it's not so much what you are thinking about, but it's what you're not thinking about. So when you worry, you're not thinking rightly. So um, I want to, you know, you know how sometimes people will say something, you worry because you think too much? Well, actually, sometimes we're not worrying because we think too much. We're just worried because we're thinking wrongly. Do you, does, do you understand that difference? It's, sometimes we are overthinking. We use that phrase a lot, we're overthinking. But our overthinking is usually because we're thinking wrongly. And so verse 8, and you will be, you can jot these things. I didn't actually number them under E in the last part of the point one in your outline. But, uh, but you might want to make these numbers yourself because verse 8 kind of gives us a pause. And as we heard Anna recite it this morning, you heard some of those things. And it gives us a list of how we are supposed to think. And I love this. I love this all throughout Scripture. If you, if, if you're, if you think about it as you um, come across different passages in the Scripture, you'll see that often in the letters and in the, in, in the epistles, you'll see that, yes, God gives negative commands, but then he gives positive commands behind it. Like when he says, um, you know, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. It's a negative and a positive. And then when he says, put aside these these things, like we saw in Colossians last time, put aside all these things. But then he says, after you put those aside, then you put these things on. And so sometimes it's not a matter of don't think about that. It's think about this. It's like a replacement is what we are supposed to do. So he gives us this list in verse 8. And the first one we see is, finally, brethren, whatever is true. 
That's the first thing, whatever is true. Now today, people refer to my truth and your truth. Have you heard that a lot, how people talk about, well, I'm just going to live my truth, and you need to leave your truth? Well, you know, what does that even mean? I mean, you can make up anything you want and call it your truth. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's God's truth we are to live by. And so he says, so, so the question becomes, well, where am I going to find the truth? Am I just going to find it in my own thoughts and what I make up and what I think or what somebody else says that I think, hmm, that's, has a little, uh, that's a little catchy phrase. No, John 17, verse 17 says this, your word is truth. Psalm 19, verse 9 says this, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Now, just think about that for a second in terms of the truth. We find the truth in God's word. Think about where we are as a culture and what everybody is saying is turning upside down the true things that God has said in his word. We've decided, just like Eve in the garden, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? No, that's not really true. All these things things, especially in the moral realm, or I should say in the immoral realm, we're deciding that God's word is not truth anymore, that it doesn't mean what it that plainly says. We're just going to turn it upside down and say it means something else. And that's my truth. And, that, and then you can have your truth. But it says, the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Psalm 119, verse 151 says this, you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Ephesians 4, verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, truth is in Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 to 25, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, do you hear what he's even saying there in Timothy? You know, this is, is Paul's letter written to young pastors. He's writing to Timothy, and he's telling him, you don't need to be quarrelsome. You've got to be kind. You need to teach. You need to be patient when you're wronged. With gentleness, you need to correct, but you have to correct those who are in opposition. You have to do it. And, then, and the reason you have to do it is because we want God to grant unbelievers, repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So when we look around and we see all these people who have all these wrong ways of viewing things and they've turned the truth of God upside down, our heart needs to be praying that God would grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, not us saying the truth doesn't matter or us like sugarcoating the truth. No, we always have to present the truth. So if I want to know the truth, I go to the Word of God. His Word has to be my focus, my grid. His Word is truth. Everything must be filtered through the truth of God's Word. Everything you read, everything you watch, everything you hear. So let's just think about this for a second. Suppose you hear a piece of interesting information about a sister in Christ. Maybe about her, or maybe about her marriage, or maybe about her children. And it's very interesting. But you have to ask yourself, is it true? You don't know, do you? Well, let's say you hear something not so good about Mrs. Fine Christian Woman's family. What do you do, or what should you do? Well, first of all, you don't even know whether it's true. So you certainly shouldn't dwell on it. Secondly, whether it's true or not, 
We have to challenge the person giving us the piece of information. How do you know? Shouldn't you be speaking to Mrs. Fine Christian Woman about this since you heard this? Shouldn't you go to her? And if you don't want to speak to her about it, well, certainly don't speak to me about it unless I can be part of the solution and help you speak to her about it. And the next time someone gives you information, challenge them in the same way. Then, Mrs., if it's a Mrs. Tailbearer, you pray. And you pray for Mrs. Fine Christian Woman. You pray for her family. And then you ask the Lord, God, who knows the truth, to work. And often, as Christian women, we need to keep our own mouths shut. Now, I took it from knowing the truth of God's word to just kind of an everyday practical information and practical application in terms of the truth. You know, more destructive information, half-truths, and even lies go around about people just because we listen and then distribute that information, and we don't even know if it's true. And in the rare instances that something bad is true, are we supposed to spread it to people who are not part of the solution? I mean, really, what good does that do? So our hearts need to always pursue the truth. God's word is truth. And then in our um, everyday uh, interactions with people, we need to pursue the truth. So if I'm going to think on whatever is true, I have to know the word of God first of all, and then I have to apply his truth in the situations of my life. And did you notice that I said I have to apply his truth? Not my truth, not somebody else's truth, God's truth to every situation in my life. Now, the next thing in this verse, in verse 8, is whatever is honorable. Now, that just means whatever is worthy of respect, whatever's noble, whatever's dignified, whatever is reverent, not trashy, not unwholesome, not crude, whatever you can be awed about, whatever needs to be held in very high regard, (laughs) Remember how Paul talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus? I don't know if you are familiar with them. But one of the things he said about them in the book of Philippians earlier in this same book was when he was telling the Philippians, I want you to hold men like this in high regard. He's like, I want you to respect them. So the meaning here is honorable. So think about this just in your day-to-day life or just as you get up in the morning from the time you get up and as you go through your day till the time you go to bed, are the things that you think about honorable? Are they the type of things that are worthy of respect? Are they noble thoughts? Are they dignified thoughts? Are they reverent thoughts? The next thing on the list is whatever is right. And of course, right, righteous, whatever complements our God, whatever is consistent with God's goodness, whatever, and of course, these words in some ways are are kind um, kind of like synonyms, but what's right? And of course, the day in which we live in, we often don't even know what's right anymore. And that's because we don't know the truth of God's word. But the more you get to know the truth of God's word, the more you immerse yourself and focus in that, the more you know what is right. The next thing on the list is whatever is pure. Now, pure means morally clean, undefiled. It also carries being sexually pure. 
Now, a number of years ago, I was asked a question, several questions, a lot of questions about these parties that were going around. These parties <laughs> where women gather together and basically talk about things not proper to mention. I'm not talking about a Tupperware party. I'm not talking about a Matilda Jane party. I'm not talking about, you know, any number of other things like Usborne book parties. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about a different kind of party. And I guess they were pretty popular a number of years ago. And, of course, I didn't even know. I wasn't familiar with the term at the time. And so I didn't really know how to answer the question, but I looked it up. Now, the name, I'm not even going to say the name, but the name gives it away, I guess. But the things I found out is that these particular parties were, Las, it was a Las Vegas company. Of course, that should tell us something. One article called it a Tupperware with a twist. And I didn't even read all the information because I read enough to know that, y'all, some things are just no-brainers. I mean, really, they're just no-brainers. We think, well, let's just dive into it a little bit more. Maybe it's okay. It's like the red flag goes off over here. It's like, why? I mean, God's given us his manual. And we are missing his best when we go to parties that are called Tupperware with a twist. And if you, of course, the younger generation is probably not even familiar with Tupperware parties. I know my mom used to do those when I was a kid. Because here's the thing, if you and your husband get on your knees and pray together about your physical relationship and your, the, uh, your whole relationship, everything about it, that it would be good, that it would be God-honoring, that it would be all that God wants it to be, do you think God would hear you? I mean, God says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then we, if we ask according to his will, we know we can have the request which we ask of him. Did God create the physical union? Of course he did. Does God mean for it to be holy and sacred and everything it ought to be? Of course he does. So does he care about this area of our, of our lives? Of course he does. And so do you think that our God who tells us to cast all our care upon him, the one who created and ordained everything about us, including the relationship with our husbands to glorify him, do you think he won't answer you? So if you call out to him according to his will, he hears you. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Song of Solomon taught, t tells us all about this part of our relationships. And three times we're told in the Song of Solomon that I counted, that I know of, three times that book tells us not to awaken love in the wrong ways. And y'all, you teenagers who are here in this room, and I see you, and I'm glad you're here, you need to know this. You don't awaken things at the wrong time. God doesn't want us to mess around with this area of our lives. It's supposed to be a love relationship in a covenant protected place of a husband and wife. And you see, once again, how our culture is like totally flopped that over. I mean, we don't even, it's crazy. And what God says is made fun of. 
I mean, for anybody who even said anything negative about that halftime show, you know, they were called all kinds of names. Some of them even by other Christians, prudes and what you're so worried about and uh, don't you know what goes on in the world? Just made fun of. I mean, God is the one who's being made fun of. The next thing on the list is lovely. Don't you love that word, lovely? I mean, like winsome, pleasing, attractive. It's just lovely. I mean, like a a rainbow in the sky. You know, the other day we were driving home from the grocery store, and I have two of my granddaughters with me right now this week before my my daughter and my son-in-law will be here Friday night for the banquet. And so Grace Ann and I met at my mom's, and I brought her two girls to be here. But anyway, we were on our way home from the grocery store, and it had been raining, and the sun was peeking through. And of course, you know when that happens, there's a, a rainbow right in front of us. And we could see the whole thing. Well, Audrey, Kate, and I could see the whole thing. I guess because they were both in the back seat, but I guess where Evangeline was sitting, it was hard for her to see it. But we were like, it's right there. It's so lovely. We used that word. We said, it's right there. It's right there. There it is. And she's like, where, where, where? And we kept, you know, looking. And finally, I said, well, once we get past these trees, once you're lovely, once we get past these trees, you'll be able to see it. And then she did see it. And they were both awed by it. Because that's the way, isn't that the way we feel every time we see God's rainbow in the sky? And isn't it interesting that, that that's been hijacked in our culture? It's God's rainbow. And it's so lovely the way God created it and made it. And it's a promise. When you look at a beautiful sky, I mean, think about all the people that post just sunsets. And they post, you know, how, how glorious it is or the, or, or the wonderful, you know, when you see the sunset and you see the orange. That was the other thing. When we got home that day and as we're driving into it, I said, look how beautiful the sky is. It's pink. And Audrey Kate says, well, actually, it's orange. And I said, whatever it is, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's a pleasing, winsome, attractive. The next thing on our list is um, whatever is of good repute. That's a good reputation, well thought of, highly regarded. That's where we are to consciously put our thoughts. Now think about this list in light of our world. Think about this list in light of the popular television programs that captivate not only non-believers but believers. Think about this list in light of the current movies or the novels or, the, or conversations at just out and about. God wants us to protect our minds because our minds determine what we want, what we desire. And listen, we usually get what we want, and that is exactly what determines our character and our perspective. And then he continues in verse 7, and this is when he says, If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise... Dwell on these things. So if you were numbering all those, you would number them like one true, two honorable, three right, four pure, five lovely, six of good repute, seven excellent, and then eight worthy of praise. But I love this part of the verse because he says, you know, if if there is any excellence, and there is, and if anything worthy of praise, and there is, because the if could, you could put sense in there, since there's excellence, since there's things worthy of praise, dwell on these things. See, so you have a choice about where you put your mind. I love the focus here. And remember I talked about a few minutes ago, negative commands. You find negative commands all over God's word. I mean, that's the Ten Commandments. They're negative commands, except for honor your father and mother. There's positive in there, too. But don't do this, don't do this. And those are... Those are 
true and those are right and they're righteous altogether, everything that God puts the negative to. But he doesn't just give us negative commands. Instead, in this verse, he's saying there, there is, since there is so much excellence that he has provided, let that be your focus. I mean, think about that just in your relationship with your husband. You know, when you dwell on his negative, bad qualities and that's your focus, you're just ready to let him have it. But if you can change your focus a little bit, doesn't need you don't need to deal with some of that stuff. I, I, I understand that, just like he needs to deal with some of our stuff. But if that's all we look at, we never see the good. So take it to this example. If you just dwell on all of the nasty programming out there and the music that fills your minds with things that, it should, that you should not be dwelling on, not only are you damaging your mind, but here's the thing. It's not just about the damage that you're causing or the damage that's being heaped upon your children as you turn a blind eye and let them do it. It's everything that you're missing and everything that they are missing. You miss the excellence. You miss the beauty of the Lord, and you have, a, and you have no appreciation for it. You don't see it. Because your perspective is clouded. Your thoughts are away from the beauty of the Lord and his doings and what he's doing. Your mind is not sharp and you see and think wrongly. Don't you want your mind to be sharp as you're raising your kids for Christ? As you want his wisdom? Then why do you fill your mind with stuff you as a mom shouldn't be filling your mind with? You want a sharp mind. And sometimes, going back to husbands for a second, when a wife tells me all the things wrong with her husband, and some of them are so legitimate, so I'm not, I'm not um, throwing that under the rug. But sometimes I do ask, and I say, is there anything good about him? Anything at all that you appreciate and that you are glad he does or is? I mean, just one little itty-bitty thing. And I've never had a woman tell me no, even in some abusive situations where they need to be separated and where our pastors have gotten involved and separated them, you know, and they put them under counseling and stuff. There's something. And of course, as you deal with the negative stuff, and you must, but don't dwell on it so much that it clouds your thinking. But most of us, we're not in those abusive, horrible situations. We're just, we're married to average Joes, and he's married to an average Jane like us. And we have our good days, and we have our bad days, and we have our good moments, and we have our bad moments, and we have our screaming moments, and we have our quiet moments. But we need to dwell on the positive. And isn't it true so often, let's just say your husband's having a really bad day, and he's being a whatever you descriptive adjective you want to put there. And you as his wife, you're called to be his helper. Isn't it way better to just walk over and put your arm around him and say, I know, I know that's hard. That's it. Isn't that way better than just letting him have it? Or saying, well, you think your day was bad. Let me tell you about mine. Our minds are the greatest treasure we have. <laughs> As believers, our minds work in harmony with the Spirit of God, and you have to protect that mind, and you have to protect your children's minds. And the way you protect is how you think, 
and you must protect its influences. You must avoid those things which negatively influence your thinking and instead focus on those things which positively influence your thinking. And I'm not talking about positive thinking here. What we're talking about is God's truth, the truth of the Word of God. I mean, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And especially a Christian mind, Christ came not only to redeem our soul, but he wants to redeem our minds. His work of redemption is a, a total makeover of body and mind. And that brings us to point two on your outline. God has commanded us to practice these things. What things? Well, Paul continues in verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. I mean, see it again? See that? Do you see the flow of thought here? I mean, think about it for a second. Remember earlier when you pray about every issue of life? You'll not only have the peace of God that that we talked about last time that he tells us about in verse 7, but we also have the God of peace that he tells us about right here in verse 9. I mean, we talked last time a little bit about the nearness of God, that he's near. Here it is again. He will be with me. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I mean, isn't it so great? It's just so practical. It's like practical. People say, well, I just want the practical. Well, here it is. And then Paul holds himself up as an example. He tells the believers there to put into practice in their lives what they've learned, received, and seen in him. And first he says, learned, that's point A, what we've learned. He's referring to the fact that he has taught them. He has been their teacher. He's taught them the truth. He's taught them in formal ways, and he's taught them very informally. He's taught them very uh, academically, and he's taught them very casually. He's explained the Old Testament to them. They didn't have, you know, the whole, of, the whole canon of Scripture was not completed yet. But he taught the Old Testament to them. And as God revealed truth to him, he explained it to them and taught them how to apply it in their lives. And that's what he's saying is what you've learned. He says the things you've learned. And when Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy, he said to him in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. I mean, Timothy followed along in Paul's life. So as Timothy traveled with Paul, he just copied Paul. Probably had a lot of the, I mean, I don't know, maybe a lot of the mannerisms and words. I mean, I know that all these years that I've been like following along after Carl, when I'm sharing the gospel with people and I had, you know, I have opportunity often and I share, I'm just like the female version of Pastor Carl. And I say his phrases and sometimes, and sometimes I, if I'm sharing the gospel with a Catholic, I get, share my husband's testimony I don't even share mine. I share his. Well, my husband was brought up that way, and, and because I've heard him so much, isn't that great when you've heard someone so much that they've been teaching the truth that you can parrot what they say? 
To listen again to today's study, You Are What You Think, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD of Audrey's Teaching for Women by calling 877-787-7478 and asking for program WOM169. Mothering from the Heart is a production of Search the Scriptures, a ministry whose mission is to share the hope found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about Search the Scriptures and perhaps partner with us, go to searchthescriptures.org or call us at 877-787-7478. Join us again next Friday as Audrey continues part two of You Are What You Think. In the meantime, remember to always think biblically and mother from the heart.